Good evening. I'm going to ask that you take out your Bibles tonight and be turning to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. I'm going to ask you a question as we get started tonight. I do not want to see a show of hands, but I just want you to think about it. Totally, completely honest. Have you ever struggled with your faith? Have you ever struggled with your faith? Maybe during some of those desperate times when it seems like your world is falling apart and things aren't going anywhere near like you had planned. When I think of that, I think of John the Baptist. We know the story of John the Baptist. He started off and he was doing some incredible, marvelous things. He was preaching as he was baptizing in the Jordan, and he was strong, and he was faithful, and he told his disciples in John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he, he stood up for Jesus, and he was, he was strong, and he was powerful, and he knew who he was, and he knew who the Lord was. So he continued to preach. He preached the truth. And that got him in trouble. He got thrown into a prison cell. Finally, in Matthew chapter 11, we read where he sent two of his disciples to Jesus asking, are you the one or should we be looking for somebody else? You see, John started off really strong and he knew who Jesus was and he was faithful. But his life got difficult. As, as things didn't go maybe the way John thought they ought to have gone, as, as he preached the truth and he, he got thrown into this jail cell and he he sent two disciples and he said, are you really the one? You can sense that there's a little bit of hesitation there, that he struggled with his faith. Maybe you struggled with your faith. In that fashion, as life has gone on and things didn't go quite maybe the way you thought they'd ought to have, perhaps you struggled with your faith when your prayers were not answered in a positive fashion exactly the way that you thought they ought to be answered. Or what about when you see people that you love struggle with their health and you pray and they don't get better and in some situations they pass. Do you ever struggle with your faith? Honestly, have you ever had that moment or two perhaps when you have wondered, questioned, perhaps even doubted the existence of heaven Maybe it happens as you get older. None of us are getting any younger. We all have a date with the Lord when our spirits will leave these earthly bodies, like a hand slipping out of a glove, like a pecan being pried out of its shell, like a butterfly being freed from its cocoon to fly to the heavens. We have that date with the Lord. For we know, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 1, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven, if indeed having been clothed we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, <laughs> 
being burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing, notice that's past tense, is God. God is prepared, and God continues to prepare us. Who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And I love the way this passage begins back in verse 1. For we know, he said, we know. But how do we know? Yes, verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight, that is true. But what do we do when our faith falters? What do we do when it sputters and struggles under the weight of some of these earthly woes and these earthly doubts and circumstances? What do we do when our faith struggles to see the unseen? When our faith struggles to know the unknown? What do we do then? I want to give you a passage that for me is the answer to that and serves as the centerpiece for tonight's lesson. It's back in the Gospel of John. It is in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Beautiful passage that is read at many funerals. But we need to use it as more than a quote-unquote funeral text, for it is far more. John 14, the first three verses read as follows. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come again and take you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What an incredibly beautiful text. The answer in tonight's focus phrase from the Savior on what to do when our faith struggles, for me, is in the middle sentence of verse 2. It is that phrase from Jesus. If it were not so, I would have told you. You see, as we think about when Jesus said that, as recorded here in John chapter 14, I want you to think about what's going to take place over the next several hours. Over the next several hours, Jesus is gathered there that night in that room. He's just washed the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. They're gathered there together that night. Jesus is about to go out to the garden, be arrested be beaten to a bloody pulp, 
be crucified. In the next few hours, his beloved disciples' entire world and their complete existence is about to come crashing down on them in a way that they never conceived it possibly could do. Their whole world is about to explode, implode, and completely fall apart on them. Listen, it's been about three years, give or take, as we read John chapter 14, since these disciples decided to follow Jesus. Many of them left family businesses, Think of Peter, James, John. They left family businesses. They forsook all and they followed Jesus. They put everything, as it were, for their lives into following Jesus. Their whole world was wrapped up in Jesus. And in that three plus or minus years, they have become absolutely and utterly convinced that this Jesus, this one that they have followed and seen all the miracles, at his hand, that he's going to, in their minds, he's going to establish a kingdom and drive the Romans out. They are convinced of this. Listen to what they have seen. Think about walking with Jesus for three years. Look at what they've seen him do. And because of what they've seen him do, think about what they thought he would do because of it and how their lives were going from this point. They had seen him give sight to the blind. They had seen him give hearing to deaf people. They had seen him cleanse lepers. And they had even seen him raise the dead. They had seen him defeat the Pharisees, silence the Sadducees, annihilate the lawyers in verbal battles, and endear the masses. And so they were just convinced the way their life was going to go that he was going to drive out the Romans, that he was going to set up this, this earthly kingdom, and life was going to be good. They were convinced of it. But Jesus knows, as he says these words in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus knows that within just a few hours, he is going to be brutally taken from them, John 18 and verse 4 says, Jesus, knowing all things that would happen to him, he knew all that was going to happen, and he knew he was going to be taken from them, and he knew that his disciples were going to struggle like they had never struggled before. They are going to run like rats on a sinking ship. They are going to huddle up behind closed doors, quaking for fear for their very lives. John 20. In verse 19, and so Jesus says something to them and reassures them, something that they were going to have to hang on to, something that you and I need to know and we need to understand and we need to count on no matter what life throws at us, and that is this. In my Father's house, many mansions, if it were not so, Jesus said, I would have told you. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus tonight as you sit here? Amen. Jesus said, if it weren't so, if this weren't true, I'd have told you. He's going to die for them. Surely he told them what they needed to know. And, and like a friend, he says, look, if that weren't the case, I would have told you. And brethren, I am here tonight to tell you something that Jesus said that is, that is just so powerful. And I want to assure you 
about this absolutely great truth from our awesome God. Heaven is for real. Heaven is for real. And heaven is not real because some kid that was coerced by an adult or two to write a book about his quote-unquote near-death experience because he said heaven is real, a, a message that he was forced to recant later on. But heaven is for real because Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, said so, proved so, and showed so. Heaven is real because Jesus said so. And Jesus can always be trusted to tell it like it is and to know exactly what he's talking about because after all, remember who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He is the Word became flesh that dwelt among us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the eternal God in the flesh. And we know that God cannot lie. Not only can God not lie, it's not even in his nature. It's not possible for God to lie. So when God in the flesh comes along and he says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you and I'm coming back to get you, you can count on that. You don't have to wonder about it or worry about it. Brethren, heaven's for real. Because Jesus said so. Whatever Jesus says, you can count on, always. No matter what you see walking by sight, no matter, no matter what you see in the world around you, no matter how your prayers are answered, no matter what comes at you, no matter what threatens to overwhelm you, heaven is real and Jesus can be counted on no matter what you see or hear or experience in the world around you. Let me give you some examples. Turn with me. We'll go just to the book of Mark for several examples of this. Turn with me in your Bibles tonight to the book of Mark, chapter 10. Mark, the 10th chapter, verses 32 through 34. Mark 10, 32 through 34. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them. They were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again, and he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Verse 33, he says, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, scourge him, and spit on him, and kill him. The third day, he will rise again. Did that happen? That did happen, didn't it? Just exactly like Jesus said it was going to. But how impossible it must have sounded at the time. Stop and think about it. Again, they believe that this earthly kingdom is coming and they believe Jesus is going to rule over it. And just how impossible, if you want to know how really impossible it must have sounded to them at the time, we're not going to turn back there and read it tonight, but you folks know the story. If we were to go back to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and following down through about verse 23, we see in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that he is? And they give him some answers, and he says, but who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him for that, tells him because of it, that he's going to give Peter the keys to the kingdom. 
But then right after that, and if I'm Peter at that point, I'm feeling pretty good. It's like, hey, I got that right, you know? But then right after that, in that same text, Jesus tells them very similarly what's going to happen to him. And Peter, Peter takes him aside. He says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. It seemed impossible to them that that was even conceivable. There's no possible way that that could be what was going to happen in their minds. And yet we know that it happened exactly as Jesus foretold it. Because if it were not so, Jesus wouldn't have told them it was going to happen that way. In Mark 13, we continue to see that we can always trust every word Jesus says to happen. In Mark chapter 13, no matter how impossible life seems at the moment. In Mark chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. The temple was just beautiful and the stones were huge and we could go into talking about the size and the architecture, but it was just this impressive building. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? As they're, as they're sitting opposite the temple, and maybe, I don't know, maybe in the afternoon sun with the sun glinting off of this, I don't know, but this big impressive set of buildings was sitting there, and, and Jesus had told them not one stone would be left on another, and, and it just seemed so inconceivable and so impossible to even think about the fact that that might actually happen. And yet we know it happened exactly like Jesus said, didn't it? Jesus can be counted on, always. And if it were not so, he would have told them that too. Finally, in Mark 14 and verse 27 through 31. Mark 14, beginning at verse 27, Jesus says to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. After I've been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. <laughs> Peter said to him, even if all were made to stumble, I'll not be. <laughs> wow, Peter, really? How many times do you suppose they'd heard Jesus quote scripture, say something was a certain way, and it happened? you think Peter would have gotten it after all that time, wouldn't you? Now, Peter's one of the, the Bible characters that, that gives me hope with God being patient with me because Peter's just really slow to get some things. But Jesus even quotes scripture here. He even quotes scripture and he says, you're all going to desert me. It, it's written. That's what's going to happen. Peter said, oh, no, not me. I, even if all the rest of them fall away, not me. Lord, you can count on me seemed impossible for Peter to even conceive in a million years that he would desert Jesus. He couldn't fathom that. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. Peter, 
They ain't going to be a millionaire tonight. You are going to deny me. Not once, Peter. You think it's inconceivable once? No, Peter, not once. Not twice. Three times, Peter. You're going to do this. And Peter just cannot fathom that that can actually be true, that, that his life would take that turn, that he would do such a thing. So he speaks more vehemently. If, even if I have to die with you, I'll not deny you. And I love the wisdom of Jesus here. Did you notice? Did you notice? And this is good for us to take into our hearts. Did you notice Jesus didn't argue with him? You notice, was Jesus right, first off? Yes, Jesus was right. Absolutely. Jesus always right. I know, that's one of those questions. But Peter vehemently, oh, it's not going to happen. Jesus doesn't say anything. You know why? Because within just a few hours, Peter's going to know it, and there's no sense arguing with him because he's so vehemently aggressive already, he'll know the truth within a few hours. And Peter did learn the truth, didn't he? Exactly what Jesus said was going to happen, happened. And Peter, we know, went outside and wept bitterly, Mark 16 and verse 7. But here's the thing. We know this happened, exactly what Jesus said. And if it were not going to happen, Jesus would not have told them so. Everything Jesus tells us comes to pass. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh who spoke hundreds of things centuries before any of them came to pass. And those things came to pass exactly as he said they would, in the exact manner he said they would. And the beauty of that for us is when Jesus says in John 14, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and I will take you unto myself. We can count on that, brethren. That's the beauty of that. And if it wasn't so, if that wasn't the case, Jesus wouldn't have told us so. I love that sentence in John 14 and verse 2. We can know that if heaven were not real, Jesus would have told us that too. A little later on in John chapter 14, I, I want to go back there. There's so much and so many beautiful statements in John chapter 14 that flow out of this. I want to look a little later on in this same chapter and look at how Jesus seeks to reassure and to reinforce and to strengthen both them and us to endure, to keep on going, to endure all the worldly sorrow that, lie, that lay between them and heaven. And I want us to look at how Jesus seeks to, to reinforce for us what lies between us and heaven and how to overcome it knowing that what he told us was exactly the way it is. Look at the hope and encouragement in these passages. In John chapter 14, look down in verses 18 through 20. Jesus said in that passage, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He's about to die. And he says, I'm coming back to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you'll see me. Because I live, you'll live also. Now, if, I'm, if I 
got any grasp on the fact that he's going to die that night, and, and they didn't get it. But even if I did, and Jesus makes this statement, and on the surface it seems so absurd. They're going to kill me, but I'll be back to see you. Now, if you don't know Jesus, that makes no sense. But if it were not so, he wouldn't have told us that. But he does tell us that. And he says, at that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Did Jesus keep his word? Did he come back and see him? Just exactly what he said. Look at verses 27 and following. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. That's the same phrase we saw in verse 1 of this chapter. Neither let it be afraid. Stop and think about that verse. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to endure a scourging. They're going to open his back up with that whip, with those, those stones or little pieces of glass or bone, and they are going to rip him wide open. And they are going to take him out, and he's going to have to carry his cross, and he's going to be spiked to that cross for yours and my sins. And Jesus knows that's going to happen in just a few hours. And yet, what does he say? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. You see, the things in the world that bring us peace don't last. Whatever those things are in the world that bring us peace, they don't last. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you peace that will last. A peace that... We'll see in just a few verses here, the world can't take away. Even when you're facing something like I'm facing, Jesus says, I'm going to leave you my peace. He had peace. Even knowing what was coming, he had peace. And he said, I want you to have that same kind of peace that will endure any cross, any fire, any problem. Verse 28, you've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice. Remember the sermon this morning about rejoicing, knowing what we've got in Christ? He said, you'd rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. Jesus said, I'm telling you now. So you look back and you'll know if it were not so, I would have told you that it wasn't. Look in chapter 16 of John's first four verses. He says, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They'll put you out of the synagogues. The time's coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. These things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. Watch this now. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember. Do you remember this morning's sermon when we talked about the word remembering and taking us back? Jesus is doing the same thing right here. He says, when this happens, this is what's going to happen. And when it happens, I want you to think right back to right now when I told you it was coming so that you will understand that whatever I tell you is absolutely going to happen and there's nothing on earth that can change it. Once I told you that's the way it is. That's his message. Remember I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Look a little further on in verses 19 through 22 of this same chapter. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will? 
Most assuredly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. Brethren, we're going to have trouble in this world. Sometimes our lives are just going to come crashing down. It's all going to fall apart. And we're going to think, where's God? We're going to think, what is going on? He said, you're going to lament. He said, you're going to weep. The world will rejoice and you'll be sorrowful. But he tells them, he says, but your, your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy. Jesus keeps talking about joy as he's going to the cross. That a human being has been born into the world, therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again. If it were not so, he'd have told them. But instead, he says, I'll see you again. I will. And when I do, your heart, watch this, your heart, he says that when I, when I see you again, your heart's going to rejoice. And nobody, nobody is going to be able to take that joy from you. They're going to see him die. They're going to, they are going to know that Jesus was dead. And three days later, everything he ever said to them, he's coming back and he says, boy, he says, you're gonna, your heart's going to rejoice. And nobody ever going to take that from you. Brethren, I'm here tonight because I want us to apply this and I want us to understand. There is a heaven. And we can count on it because if it were not so, Jesus would have told us. And that should give us a joy that no earthly trial can take away if we're walking by faith and not by sight. Look at verses 31 through 33 of John 16. Jesus said, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, it has now come that you'll be scattered, each to his own, and you'll leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I love verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. We as Christians should have peace, no matter what the world throws at us because of Jesus Christ, and he said, in the world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise. This world, this fallen world, it's going to get hard sometimes. It's, it's going to. It's designed that way. In the world, you will have tribulation. Jesus coming out and said so. You can't, you can't thwart it. Jesus said it. It's going to happen. Then what does he say? But rejoice. Be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world in all its sorrow, in all its tribulation, in all of its heartache, in all of its frustration, in all of its disappointment. She said, you're going to have those things, but you can be of good courage because I, Jesus said, I've overcome it all. Isn't God awesome? And then he proves it. Jesus don't just say it, he proves it. Jesus is arrested. False charges are leveled at him. He's beaten by the soldiers. He's scourged. He's taken out and he's so weak from blood loss that he can't even carry his own cross. And he stumbles beneath its weight and they take him out and they drive the spikes in and they, and they, and they set him up. And Jesus yields up his spirit and he dies for yours and my sin. If I'm one of those people, I'm thinking, that's it. I've invested three years of my life in this guy, and, and it's over. It's done. Peter says, I'm going fishing. Good old Peter, going back fishing, right? Peter was in for a little surprise, wasn't he? 
You know why? Because Jesus can be trusted, even in the face of death, to do exactly what Jesus said he'd do. And if it weren't so, he would have told us. Look with me in Luke 24. In Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 44, Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, has come back to his disciples, and he said to them in verse 44 of Luke 24, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. <laughs> Jesus said, Remember what I told you back then? Remember I told you? If it weren't so, I would have told you, but I did tell you, so you can count on it. He said, These are the words I told you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written. And thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you're witnesses of these things. He said, you're witnesses, you know these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. It came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with what? Great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Why were they doing that? Because Jesus can be trusted even in the face of death, because there is a heaven. And if it were not so, he would have told us. Heaven is for real, brethren, because Jesus said he was going there to prepare a place for us. And if it were not so, he wouldn't have said that. Heaven is for real because the written word of God says that Jesus Christ went there after being taken up from this earth. If it were not so, the word of God would not have said that. Heaven is for real because Jesus, you know where Jesus is tonight? You know where Jesus is tonight? Jesus in heaven tonight. That's how I know heaven is real. You know what Jesus is doing in heaven tonight? November the 11th, 2018. You know what Jesus is doing? He's interceding for you and me. How do I know that? I know that from Hebrews chapter 7 that he always lives to intercede for us. That he is at the right hand of the throne of God the Father in heaven and that he ever lives to intercede for you and me. And there's nothing on this planet that's ever going to convince me otherwise. And if it were not so, Jesus wouldn't have said so, nor would the scripture. Heaven is for real. Because after Jesus got back there, he sent several lengthy text messages. That's, you know, in quotes. Complete with stunning word images to his servant John to share with the struggling first century saints. There's this eternal photo album called the Book of Revelation. And it's got these big, incredible, impressive pictures in this eternal photo album. And we see the caption, Heaven occur 55 times in 53 verses or 53 captions tell us of heaven in the book of Revelation. Heaven is for real 
Because if it were not so, Jesus would not have told us it existed. But Jesus did tell us it existed. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, according to John 14, 6. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the truth about heaven. And he is the life that connects us to heaven. Heaven is for real. Because if it were not so, Jesus would have told us. He died for us, certainly. He would have told us if it wasn't real. And you know what? Knowing that heaven is for real makes our earthly trials and troubles and those times that we are frustrated, those times when we pray or think things ought to happen differently than we, they do, that just knowing the reality of heaven makes those tribulations and those hard times we go through all the more bearable because we know what's waiting. And if it were not so, Jesus would have told us. We're here tonight and we're here every Lord's Day to refresh that picture of heaven in our minds, to refocus on it with our hearts, and to truly celebrate every time we gather together to worship and sing God's praise. Heaven is for real, and it is the home of all of those who humble themselves and do His will, Matthew 7, 21 to 27. Aren't you glad tonight Jesus told us it was so? And I trust Jesus. He died for me. He died for you. Tonight, if you trust Jesus, if you're somebody that's here but you've never repented and been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you see, trusting Jesus is more than just saying yeah, I believe Jesus was the Son of God, or yes, I believe Jesus came to this earth, or yes, I believe Jesus died for me. You see, real trust, real trust in Jesus means I trust him enough to do what he said. That's what faith is. When we read Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Noah did something, Abraham did something, Moses did something, they all did something. What did they do? They did exactly what God told them to because they trusted him. That's trusting Jesus. And the scripture tells us that in order to be saved, we must trust Jesus enough to obey his commandments. He is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, Hebrews 5, verse 7. We know from the word of God that we must, if we truly trust him, we must be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. We must repent because we have heard the message and we believe it. And we must confess him. If you're here this night, You've never put your trust fully in him. I encourage you to do that. Or if you're somebody here tonight that's been struggling with life in general, you need the prayers of the church. Scripture says that the effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Do you believe that? How many of you believe that? So what greater thing could there be if you're struggling than to have those who are righteous in Christ Jesus praying for you? Tonight, if you need the prayers of the church or to become a child of God by being baptized into Christ, it's not that far down here. I walked it at the beginning. <laughs> Step out of the pew. Let go of your pride. Let go of your problems. 